Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. Jim, I know neither one of us want to spend much time discussing what happened in the NFL yesterday since both of our teams ended up on the short end of the stick. Uh, you guys, of course, are still fighting for a playoff spot. But no matter how bad yesterday went for our teams, what happened to the Patriots did not happen to us, right? <laughs> you know, Greg, I was in a lousy mood, and thankfully you found a way to brighten my day and warm my spirits. But, you know, Greg and I can't see each other when we're taping these sorts of things. But so I, I assume he said, he made air quotes when he said the Jets were fighting for a playoff position. They were they were technically on the field. Yes, that, that much I'll give them. <laughs> but uh, I know your heart breaks for Bill Belichick and and how the Patriots uh, didn't quite get it done yesterday. But uh, anyway, on to our good martini now. And uh, one of the nice things about having Republican control of the House here in a couple of weeks, Jim, is control of the committees and uh, focusing an agenda and subpoena power potentially inside those committees. And uh, one of the things that we already know is going to happen is a special select committee on China that is going to be chaired by Congressman Mike Gallagher out of Wisconsin, I assume a Packer fan, but nonetheless, an important topic here on how to deal with communist China. He was on with uh, Jake Tapper on State of the Union yesterday, and the issue came up of whether uh, Gallagher thought that uh, we should just get rid of TikTok off of all of our phones. The quick answer was yes, and here's the explanation about why TikTok is so dangerous and must be dealt with. The fundamental problem is this, Jake. Uh, TikTok is owned by ByteDance, and ByteDance is effectively controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. The editor-in-chief of ByteDance, for example, is a CCP secretary and has talked about making sure all product lines, all business lines follow appropriate political control. So the question we have to ask is whether we want to give the CCP the ability to track our location, track what websites we visit, even when we're not using the TikTok app itself, and increasingly, since a large percentage of young Americans use TikTok to get their news, whether we want them to have the ability to selectively edit that news. It's as if in 1958, given that TikTok is um, on the cusp of becoming the most powerful media company in America, we would have allowed the KGB and Pravda to buy the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Washington Post, all combined. Yeah, it's a big problem. And as he pointed out, this is now a bipartisan approach. You've got Democrats who think uh, TikTok is a danger. It's now being banned from government devices, at least in some departments of the government, if not all of them. So, uh, Jim, uh, I think it's a good place to start to try and get some uh, uh, bipartisan support on this. And hopefully it snowballs from here because uh, the China threat is a big one. And TikTok is in uh, seems like everybody's home these days. There were two things that jump out of this. The first is that for a while now, this this is you know not like this is a newfound claim or a newfound concern about TikTok. It's been for years. And what I've been hearing for quite some time was, one, compared to all other apps, TikTok, just like like a sponge, absorbs every piece of data from your phone possible. Location information, who your phone has been in contact with, every bit of metadata that we objected to the NSA collecting without a warrant. Well, but, you know, TikTok does that. Apparently, it's right there in the user agreement. You agree to give, let them do whatever the heck they want to your phone, and they're absorbing it. And then all of that, you, you might as well send it directly to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, whether or not the Chinese Communist Party cares about what's in your phone, uh, you probably still would have the point of not necessarily wanting to share that information. If you wouldn't want anybody else having it, you, by the way, there's no guarantee that the Chinese Communist Party's uh, 
it's you know, that TikTok is unhackable or unsecure. That, that information could end up anywhere. So, uh, you know, it wasn't just the statement of uh, uh, Gallagher here. You know, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas had said, you know, if you have TikTok on your phone, not just delete it now, which is pretty uh, exciting. It's, you know, it's basically says, you know, get a new phone as well. That's how severe this app is. And I just kind of find it fascinating, Greg. Notice the amount of debate you've heard about TikTok and the potential security threat it represents to everybody's phone compared to, say, I don't know, Elon Musk banning some reporters from Twitter. Right. Or temporarily suspending some reporters from Twitter. You know, like that one, it was DEFCON 1. Battle stations, flashing red lights, everybody's, you know. But the idea that basically, oh, the Chinese Communist Party has been sucking information out of our phones for years, that's not a big deal. In fact, I think it was Oliver Darcy who had said that, oh, this is a Republican thing. No, there was a unanimous consent vote in the Senate. Everybody voted. Or there, nobody raised an objection to saying that TikTok should not be on any uh, federally owned cell phone. Basically, if you if you get a cell phone from the government because you're a government worker, you should not have TikTok on it. Not a single Democrat objected. And I noticed Gallagher's legislation is co-sponsored by Illinois Democrat Raja Krishnamurthy. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, co-sponsored that, legisl- that legislation. So, look, this is not some crazy right-wing conspiracy. This is backed up by the Democrats, too. And yet... Everybody seems very blasé about TikTok, and it's still everybody's pop. Oh, look, look, they're doing wacky dances. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, great. But yeah, Jim, tweens and teens want to dance. Who cares about national security when we can uh, put 15-second dance videos out there? Priorities, man. Priorities. <laughs> videos on Twitter, you know. Oh, but, you know. Then they get Elon Musk's influence. So, you know, Just kids might get exposed to you know bad ideas like the free market. All right, on to our bad martini now, Jim, because the Chinese spying on us through our phones is the good app. Actually, no, it's not. It's the, it's the fight against that. It's the, it's the good martini. But the bad martini is the economy. Um, no matter what you hear from the White House, and we explained this uh, with the inflation numbers not too long ago, you know, the overall outlook still not great. The Biden administration taking credit for any drop in prices or uh, in inflation uh, year over year. But uh, the American people are not fooled. They still don't like him. And now a majority of voters uh, don't believe that next year will be a good year for the economy. Uh, The free beacon with the story, but it's a Wall Street Journal poll. A majority of voters believe the economy under President Joe Biden will worsen over the next year. 65% of respondents said the economy is, quote, headed in the wrong direction, while 52% said it will get worse in 2023. 67% of those polled, meanwhile, rated the strength of the economy negatively compared with 32% who rated it positively. The numbers come as Goldman Sachs on Friday announced it will lay off thousands of workers and U.S. banks warn of a looming recession. So it's not just people's gut reactions that are negative. You actually have recession warnings coming out here. But the American people's uh, gut reactions are usually the best barometer of all. Uh, You see these consumer confidence surveys out all the time, and they're usually a pretty good indication of these things. So, Jim, if it's two to one, 67 looking at the economy economy negatively and 32 percent positively, could end up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. But there's a lot of indicators out there that we're in for some pretty rough sledding here. Now, wait a second. Wait a second, Greg. Just last week, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen wrote in the Wall Street Journal's op-ed page, quote, Biden has the economy back on track, unquote. Uh, you're, you're not telling me she was wrong, could you? Never. I think can't be the case. Never. Uh, you know, uh, by the way, in case you're wondering, the word inflation appeared three times in that roughly 850-word op-ed. 
Yeah, look, you know, the the inflation rate is 7.1% in the most recent uh, monthly numbers. And that's year over year. Is that better than it was in June when it was 9.1%? Yeah, it is, but that's still pretty darn high. In fact, 7.1 would have been the highest number in 40 years before this year. Right? So, you know, it's gotten marginally better, but it's still pretty bad. Oh, by the way, you look at numbers, grocery prices and food prices are still higher than core inflation. Um, it's not surprising people look at that and say, oh, man, it's going to be a rough year. You know, if it turns out to not be a, a, a rough year, wonderful. Um, but I think you look at this, you know, past battles with inflation have taken a long time to resolve. You could argue that inflation really kind of started in, eh, you know, mid-2021. So, you know, we're now well into our second year of it. And most economists' estimates are saying, well, we'll probably have it done. In fact, Yellen herself says we should have inflation resolved by the end of 2023. So if we're going to continue this long, difficult struggle against inflation, how, how good should we expect the economy to be going? You know, grocery prices are high. Have you ever seen egg prices? Apparently, that was an avian flu outbreak that was a factor in that. Uh, housing price, the housing markets are, you know, in terrible shape because of high interest rates. The Fed still says interest rates could keep going up in the coming year. Then on top of that, you got high energy prices and it's winter. You know, people are paying more for uh, home heating oil. People are paying more for natural gas. That doesn't leave them a lot of, you know, leftover dollars for discretionary income. Add all that up, that looks like a really rough year for the economy. So you look at that, and particularly there's numbers in this survey. The you know, Democrats, 23% of Democrats think the next year is going to be rough economically. Well, you know, they're optimists. Everybody else, psh, man, it's, you know, it, it is going to be rough sailing for, you know, the next year. If it doesn't turn out to be that case, great. But, you know, the other, you know, fair question here is, does this turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy? The people, you know, particularly in particular, businesses, you know, expect bad times, so they don't hire. You've heard about hiring freezes. You've heard about layoffs in certain businesses. So you kind of create this negative momentum, and we end up having a much longer and much more painful recession, um, or in this case, you know, some would argue stagflation period than we otherwise would have. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be difficult at a number of levels. I should point out my youngest daughter trying to help ease the demand on eggs. Asked her over the weekend if she wanted eggs, and she said no. Those are baby chicks. And so I said, is that a no then? <laughs> so just for me, huh? And so uh, anyway, there you go. Uh, well, I don't think that'll affect the price too much, though. If she really gets difficult, stump her with which one came first. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that'll be fun. Just as an exit on this story, uh, this is the same child who I bought a Nerf gun uh, for right around the same time she decided that Lincoln was her favorite president. So one day I was uh, sitting on the couch. She sneaks up behind me, shoots me in the back of the head with a Nerf gun and shouts, Six Semper Tyrannus, and runs away. (laughs) And that, dear listeners, is why the Secret Service started watching Greg's daughter. (laughs) Isn't that adorable? I'm sure somewhere... Probably some, uh, you know, general store, probably in the deep south, has some sort of, you know, Lil John Wilkes Booth playset of some kind. But that will not be under the tree. That will not be under the tree. We don't need to encourage it that much. But I appreciate her incorporating history into her fake assassination attempt. So that's good. All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, as uh, many of our listeners know, uh, the problem with the southern border is only getting worse, and it's potentially about to get a lot worse because the Biden administration, unless they postpone their decision, is going to end Title 42, the Remain in Mexico policy, while asylum claims are adjudicated. And so the expectations are that this could uh, bump things up to 10,000, 14,000. I've seen some estimates as high as 18,000 illegal crossings a day. So people who are not fans of the president's border policy 
are howling mad about this. But never mind. They got the media to carry the administration's water. Martha Raddatz goes down and interviews Texas Governor Greg Abbott, and she says, you know, Biden hasn't declared the border open. It's you guys. So it's really your problem, not the actual policy. Here's what she said. You talk about the border wall. You talk about open borders. I don't think I've ever heard President Biden say, we have an open border. Come on over. But people I have heard say it are you, are former President Trump, or Ron DeSantis. That message reverberates in Mexico and beyond. So they do get the message that it is an open border, and smugglers use all those kinds of statements. So there you go, Jim. It's not the policy's fault. It's not the president's fault. It's the people pointing out the terrible policies that are really inspiring the cartels and the smugglers and the drug traffickers and everybody else to hit the border. What Martha Raddatz fails to remember, though, is Joe Biden's own promises. This is from his one-on-one, a 2020 primary debate against Bernie Sanders. Could not have laid it out more clearly. But I will send to the desk immediately a bill that requires to access to citizenship for 11 million undocumented folks, number one. Number two, in the first 100 days of my administration, no one, no one will be deported at all. From that point on, the only deportations that will take place are commissions of felonies in the United States of America. So, so to be clear, only felons get deported and everyone else Period. has to stay? Yes. Yes. And the reason is it's about okay, uniting families. Yeah. It's about making sure that we can both be a nation of immigrants as well as a nation that is decent. How about a nation of laws? We used to be that, too. Uh, Jim, so, uh, I mean, that's about as uh, giant of a welcome mat for an open border as you can get. But apparently, he didn't specifically say, the border is open this way, please. So it's only the people pointing it out that are the problem for Martha Raddatz. So the question we're kind of left with is, look, as you mentioned, large groups of migrants attempt to come across the border. Sometimes they come in those giant groups of, you know, a thousand or more people. Usually they come in smaller groups and they, you know, you you know, the U.S. Border Security Customs and Border Protection, they've caught a bunch. We, you know, when we see those high numbers, we're saying, well, how many did they not catch? How many are coming over every day and they're coming through in spaces where the Border Patrol just doesn't have the manpower? We do have border fencing in some areas. Many of us would argue we don't have nearly enough border fencing in enough areas. You don't necessarily need to rebuild the Great Wall of China from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. But you do need to have more of it. The head of the border, uh, former head of the, the uh, Union of Border Patrol Officers, has made a similar point of saying, "Look, when you fence off areas, it puts it's like a funnel. It puts them into a smaller area. They can catch more people. Fewer people slip through." The Raddatz supposition here is that Vice President Kamala Harris is right and is doing the right thing when she says the border is closed, even though everybody can see that it is not. And that folks like Texas Governor Greg Abbott and other folks on the right are doing the wrong thing when they say that the border is open because they th- or, or complain that the border is insufficiently secure uh, because that will, j- that will spur people to come across. In other words, it's almost like the Tinkerbell strategy. If we just believe that the border is closed enough, then at some point the border will close. But if any of us doubt that the border is closed, then all of a sudden the border is open. That is the mentality of that is the ultimate triumph of like of perception, of image of belief over what the cold, hard facts on the ground are. 
And it's kind of ridiculous, but I think we've just kind of gotten used to this from uh, a lot of big media institutions, Greg. Yeah, it's utterly insane. I believe the number of actually apprehended and, and encountered uh, people crossing the border illegally is around 5 million. Uh, the so-called gotaways, back in Don Rumsfeld parlance, the known knowns, uh, that's about a million since Biden took office. They got away. They saw them on a camera, but they couldn't uh, spend the manpower, as you mentioned. And then, of course, there's the unknown unknowns, the people that got away that we didn't catch on camera. And so we're looking at at least 6 million, probably more. That's unsustainable. And the Democrats and their allies in the media are pretending it's not even happening. Unbelievable. Anyway, Jim, happy Monday. Yeah, I was going to say, there are certain times you can just tell it's Monday. Yep, no doubt about it. So uh, hopefully better news tomorrow. Uh, Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. If you don't already, please tell a friend about us as well. Thanks so much for your uh, five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Get Jim's brand new book, Gathering Five Storms, the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Uh, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Monday and join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.